Let me preface uh, what I want to speak to you about this morning by calling you your attention to something that goes through me. I can't speak for you. But anytime I come to the book of James, it always convicts me. I feel like James is picking on me, and he's pointing out all my, my flaws. And if I just look at it from kind of the exhortation, the, correct, uh, the idea that he's correcting my behavior, it's, it's kind of uh, not fun to read. In fact, it almost seems legalistic. And when Rod was past, uh, Pastor Rod was preaching a few weeks back, I was asked to do the blessing at the end. And you know how often you go through scriptures and something that you've overlooked just seems to come off the page. And I hadn't planned on saying, uh, reading this. At, uh, I had planned something else to close with, but this caught my eye. And uh, I want to preface what I want to talk about in the second chapter by drawing your attention to the last uh, three verses of the uh, first chapter. So James writes, So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens, and he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And then he adds, He chose to give birth to us by giving his, us his true word. And then this line, I'd like you to put this, tuck it away in your heart. And we out of all creation became his prized possession. That's just an amazing description of who we are to God. And it's good to think of us, it's hard to think of us this, that way, and especially when we read a letter like this, it kind of points its finger at us and says, boy, you need to fix this. And uh, yet, James, uh, who is the brother of our Lord, the half-brother, uh, he was late in faith. He wasn't an earlier, early follower of Christ. But after the resurrection, he came to the realization that his brother really was the Son of God. And so I, I sense a tenderness in this, and uh, that is, is, is couched in the truth that we are God's uh, chosen ones, his prized possessions. <clears throat> there are two ways to study Scripture, two more most popular ways. One is deductively. So we grow up in church, and the church has a doctrinal or creedal statement, and uh, those are the rules of the church. And when we go to the Bible, we start looking in the Bible for those things we already believe. Uh, that, that's not the best way, however, in my judgment, to study the Scriptures. What I try to do is I try to set aside my preconceived ideas, what I've been taught historically, and try to come before the Lord with an open mind and study the Scripture inductively, which means that I want the Word of God to speak out to me. 
And one way we do that is uh, through observations. We read it and we just observe it. We think about it. And part of that process is to ask questions of the text. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to ask some questions of the text that relate back to uh, something in the text. Uh, And again, when you're reading Scripture, what you'll find that sometimes you read something and you just don't see it. The next time you read it, you do see it. So I like to teach people that when you're reading the Scriptures, whatever speaks to your heart, stay there a while. Let it uh, marinate. Have a sila moment where you pause and think about it. So when pastor asked me if I would teach from this text, what came off the page to me was the royal law. And remember, our our theme for the year is being a new you in the new year. And obviously, that one way in which we do that is by obeying the royal law. Uh, There's an interesting sequence in Scripture. Uh, God gives to Moses ten rules or ten laws, ten commandments. And you're familiar with those, but let's just review them a little bit. You're not to have any other God before him. You're not to make idols and images. Uh, uh, And you're not to take the name of the Lord in vain. And you are to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And these aren't options. These are all commands. They're good commands. There's nothing wrong with the commands. And then you're to honor your father and mother. And then you have the thou shalt not. uh, I think in the order it's not murder, you're not to uh, steal, you're not to swear falsely. Uh, and there's one I miss in there, but I'll go to the, the, the last one I remember. You, you don't covet. You don't desire your neighbor's wife or his possession. And the Apostle Paul said, I did a pretty good job with the first nine. But when I came to the last one, thou shalt not covet. He said, something was going on inside of me I could not master. Uh, uh, I think we can relate to that. Uh, There's just something within us that, though we may not outwardly break a law, inwardly we do. Therefore, Jesus gave us the Sermon on the Mount. And when you read the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, uh, and on and on it goes. And you start looking at that, and you think, my goodness, in uh, chapter, what uh, is it, uh, 5 through 7 of Matthew's gospel, there's a lot of list. And he says, you have to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then Peter doesn't help us. Peter says, be holy, even as your Father in heaven is holy. I want to tell you, I have holy desire in my heart, and I imagine you do too. However, do you struggle? You try to perform according to God's laws. So then Jesus, he takes the ten rules that Moses gives, and he condenses it to two. And he says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So now we got ten reduced to two. Then James refines it a little farther, and then he says that we... The royal law is this, that we love our neighbors as ourselves. So three questions arise out of the text to me. Uh, uh, The first question is, 
what does it reveal? The second question is, what does it require? And then the fourth question, or the third question is, what does it restore? So let me read a bit in the text, and then we'll talk about it. So beginning in the first verse of the second chapter, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus, our, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, if you favor some people over others? And then he gives an example. He says, For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> and <clears throat> there's a sense in which we have to come to impoverishment before we see our great need for salvation, our great need for Christ. And so it's a good process. It's a painful process. And then there are those who simply, in life, don't have what others have. You know, I've been a, a, a privileged to go to many places in the world, to third world countries. And even if you'd travel down to Mexicali and across the border, you're immediately impressed with what poverty looks like. And what I've discovered when I'm amongst those people, the Christ followers, they have just wonderful hearts for Jesus. And then when I come back home and I see us, and most of us as Americans are pretty well off, we also have a love for Christ. So it's not a status thing that gives us approval by God, but it's a poverty of spirit, a brokenness before him. Presently, I'm going through that process. I'm learning how to be an old man. Now, <clears throat> let me share a little story with you. The staff and we pastors, we went away for about a, day, a, two, a couple of days up in the high desert. And we did a number of things. And one of those things, we went horseback riding. Now, I, my left knee is very bad. And so I was concer uh, concerned about how I would get on the horse. I didn't think too much about how I would get off. <laughs> <laughs> so with a little assistance, I put my left foot in the stirrup like cowboys do. I grabbed the horn of the saddle and the backside of the saddle. And with my upper body, I pulled my leg up over the horse. And there I was mounted. I'm on the horse. Now, she was a very nice horse. She was old, about 13, 14 years old. And so we went on the ride, which meant that we walked the horses for probably a three quarters of a mile or something like I don't know how far we went so we come back into the uh, arena where we're to dismount and when I uh, twist my knee out it, it always gives way so I'm thinking now when I swing my leg over this saddle my my knee's going to give out so I got to figure a way off this horse so the <laughs> 
the wrangler comes over and he's going to help me. So I said, what do you think if I just put my right leg over the horn of the saddle and I'll just slide off and you catch me? <laughs> so we have 200 pounds of man airborne. <laughs> A little bit too much for the wrangler to catch. And so I find myself in the dirt. <laughs> totally humiliated, not hurting, but humiliated. <laughs> And I'm reasonably sure that Pastor Rod and the gang will pick on me. <laughs> they should, anyway. I would, I'd pick on them. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> so my task is to lead the horse. Uh, and we're last in line. And then the wrangler is going to do his job with each horse. So that takes a little time. So I'm, I'm uh, holding the horse reins uh, in this hand. And she's behaving all right. And I relax it a little bit, and she starts twisting her head like this. So to calm her down, I reach over to pet her nose. And she just gets real still. And she likes that. I figure she likes that. So I quit, stroking her nose, and she starts swinging her head at me. So I reach over and pet her nose, and she just calms right down. And I thought, this horse is no different than my, my daughter's little Yorkie. It just wants to be petted. <laughs> so I, I, I hug the horse. <laughs> and I realize, you know, this is a huge animal, but it's been broken to the bit, and it's learned to be submissive, and it finds a certain joy in its submission. Okay, how does that apply to me? In a physical sense, I'm learning to be submissive to others and to appreciate their help. It, it, it's not natural. I'm very independent by nature. I've always pretty much had my own way as far as physical things are concerned, but not anymore. There's a spiritual lesson for us because in this text, we can't do what this text says unless we're really broken to the bit. So let's, let's go on down in the text and see if we can ask some more questions of it. Uh, <clears throat> Up here, I fight the wind. I fight poor vision. It's a mess. But we're going to make it. So here we go. Let's, 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 let's pick it up in the uh, eighth verse. Yes, indeed, it's good, good when you uh, obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show favor, uh, uh, oh, but if you favor some people over others, you are, dis you are committing a sin. I should read that again. Ron Williams, when you show favor to one person and withhold it from another, you are committing a sin. You see, what we have to do is we have to admit our behavior is sin. If we call it any other thing, we can rationalize and say it's okay. But once you say it's a sin, then you say, well, God, uh, you don't want that in my life. I, ne I need to repent. I need to turn from it. And he says, uh, you are guilty uh, at breaking the law. And, and then he says, uh, 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 for, for the, uh, let me move on down. For the, that, the person who keeps all of the law uh, except one is guilty as a person who breaks them of all of God's laws. And then adds, 
For uh, this, the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said you must not murder. So if you murder uh, uh, someone, but uh, do not commit adultery, you have, you have still broken the law. And then uh, the last couple of verses here. So whatever you say or whatever you do, uh, 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 remember that you will be judged by the law that gives liberty. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when, uh, when he judges you. God will be merciful when he judges you. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And yet, what I see in this is that it, there's, it's almost an impossible, it is an impossibility. I simply can't do this. So I can leave it with a frustration, or I can think about this horse that was broken to the bit. Can Ron Williams be broken to the bit, and can I love like this text? I think the first thing I have to admit, no, I can't. I really do need help. And then I need to appeal to other scriptures and especially where the Apostle Paul writes, and he says that the love of God has been shed in our, poured out into our hearts by his Spirit. I have an aha at that moment. Yeah, I can do this, but I can't do this alone. I really need God. There's really basically four ways that we love. One is erotic love. Uh, we grow up, we're attracted to the opposite sex. Ideally, we marry, and then we have intimacy. That's natural. Yeah. Second way we would love is this afternoon, Tom Brady is going to be playing for uh, what is it? Buccaneers, and uh, uh, Casey, uh, what's it, Mahomes? Mahomes? Yeah, he's going to be playing for Kansas City. You know, Tom Brady played for years for, wasn't it New England that he played for? Patriots? Won all those Super Bowls? Uh, I think there's probably some envy there of his teammates, and maybe there's some guys on the other side of the line that used to play with Tom Brady. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of people who want to see him lose that once really liked him. You see, when we're on the same team, working for the same end, we're pretty easy to get along with. And we love people that agree with us. We love people that are on our side. But once they move over to the other side and you, our conservative friend becomes a liberal, we're pretty sure he's on his way to hell. And if the liberal should move over onto the conservative side, we think the same thing. It's all about, are you for me? You see, uh, eros is a, a self-centered love. 
stergo, this Greek word, is a self-centered love. And then we come to phileo. You know, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. We naturally phileo one another in family. My little babies were born to our family. My grandbabies were born to our family. My great-grandbabies are born to my family. And you don't have to tell me to love them. I just do. But those little rascals from time to time are testy. And I get ticked. You know better than that. And I, I, I don't know if I love you right now. I wouldn't tell them that, but I think it. <clears throat> so I need another kind of love. And it's the love that only God can give. And not only does he give this kind of love, he personifies it by moving inside of us. His spirit comes to dwell within us. And we have a divine capacity for loving others as we love ourselves. So the big question is, do we understand that in our flesh, as the Apostle Paul would say, there dwells no good thing? He says that in your sinful nature, you cannot please God, period. So we're in a bind here. Maybe this would help. If, you, if we could come to understand more fully how we're made. The Bible tells, teaches us that we're made in the image and the likeness of God. And that God, uh, that God is a spirit, and that those who worship him will worship him in spirit and truth. And so what is that about? Well, God is not flesh and blood. He is spirit. But God is intellectual. He's all wise, isn't he? And God is emotional. He loves. He cares. He tends for his people. And God is volitional. He has a will. And he accomplishes his will. So how am I made in the image and likeness of God? I have a thinker, I have a feeler, and I have an actor, just as you do. And I have something else in me, though. You see, my body, God likes because he says, that's where I'll live. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I live in you. God has made me new because I've been born from above. And hopefully you have too. You've become a new person in Christ, indwelled by his Holy Spirit. So those are two really good things. But the bad thing is something you didn't have anything to do with. And if you want to, blame it on Adam. Because it's been passed on generationally, generationally, generationally. And that is we have a self-centered, sinful nature that puts me number one. Oh, it's always life is about me. And I don't naturally make it about you. So what do I need? I need to exercise the privilege that I have been given by God. And the Lord Jesus put it this way. He said, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And uh, what does that mean? Uh, oh, well, Paul would say this way. I die daily. And what is Jesus and Paul teaching us? They're saying to us, you got to kill the old man. But the problem with the old man is you kill it, but he won't stay dead. And that's not going to happen until Jesus comes again, or we check out and we go home uh, via, via, via the box, okay? 
That's the only way that can happen. So we're in a fierce battle. And one of the things we're talking about as a staff, a pastoral staff and leadership staff, is we're called to spiritual warfare. And we think of the war being out there someplace. I'm telling you, the war for Ron Williams is right inside of him. And it's, will I surrender to Jesus Christ? Is confessing him as my Lord just, uh, you know, uh, um, a mandatory act, or is it something that arises from the heart? It's just, no, I've made a mess of my life, and when I'm in charge, bad things happen. But when you're in charge, Lord Jesus, good and wonderful things happen, and I'm able to love my neighbor as myself. Well, let's just reflect on this for a little bit. Let me ask you a couple questions. If you don't know Jesus, if he's not come into your life, you're sunk. You can't love this way. It's impossible. The only way it's possible is for Christ to come within. And I promise you this, that if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, that's the best possible life you could ever have. And don't let the enemy deceive you. Don't let him trick you into believing that there's a better life someplace else because there isn't. And I've been walking with the Lord since I was seven years old. I'll be 82 my next birthday, and I can tell you this. Jesus has never done me wrong. The best thing I ever did was when I was a little boy, and I said, Lord Jesus, here I am. Take my life and use it. But I am prone to drift from time to time. And the old man, the old nature, rises up within me, and I act very sinful. I have only to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. Restore to me uh, your spirit, your salvation, uh, that I might really find joy in you. And that's simply aligning myself with what God wants for me, coming back to the place where it's more than just slip service, but it's, yes, Lord, you are Lord, Lord of my life. And there is a refreshing, a restoration that happens and where we've been separated and alienated from others. Restoration becomes profitable, and we find a life of joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the conversation this morning. We've asked some important questions of the text. Uh, what does it reveal to us? What does it require of us? And what does it restore? And so we give glory to you. And once again, we offer our lives in service to you and give you our love and gratitude. Amen.